You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Well, hey, gals, today we're going to jump into another one of our, what we kind of ended up calling the Raising Men sort of series. We just do them whenever Chris and I get ideas of things. Or as he would probably say, as Amy gets an idea of something and then ropes him into the podcast, Mike. Twists my arm to come into the podcast room. It's true. It's true. This is how I have talked him into spending his um, Saturday mid-morning afternoon, whatever time it is now. So anyway, thanks, hon. I appreciate you doing this. Absolutely. So where we want to go today with this is, you know, as you guys know, we have three boys and we always like to begin with a disclaimer of, well, great, you have three sons. That does not make us an expert on everything, all three sons. 100%. Yes. I think that's one of the things that always probably is the hardest thing for me to get Chris to come and sit in this chair is that he is just concerned that, I mean, we're just not the authority on things. The word is the authority. So hopefully we point you guys to scripture. We point you guys to being able to look to the word and for gals, for you guys to have these conversations with your husband and be able to figure out and be very intentional about how you're raising kids, boys or girls, right? But today, the topic that I kind of wanted to touch on is just the issue of raising men, which I know they're not men in our house right now, but they're going to be before you know it, raising men of boldness. And I think we can see this in a whole lot of different areas. And I think this one snuck up on me a little bit, and that I took for granted that this is just something that boys get. I think as girls, we can kind of think that, oh, you know, they're boys. So yes, they're naturally bold. And I think we're observing some things amongst generations and that is not necessarily equating to that what biblical boldness should look like. So I asked Chris to kind of look to the word on this stuff and just kind of help us with what we should be looking for as we're raising our kids. And like I said, boys or girls, but particularly I think our men are called in a particular lane to be bold and to be leaders and what that looks like biblically. So does that give you a good launch? It does. And I think that while it's unmistakable in the word that men are called to be leaders, unfortunately, in our culture, men are pretty much ridiculed for being leaders. Uh, it is not welcome. We do not want assertive male authority or leadership. In fact, you watch the TV shows and the movies and the depictions of men in pop culture, and we want men weak. We want them cowering and in the corner. They have a role. It can be the comedic relief because they're too stupid to know what's going on or have a clue about what's really important, but that's about it. And obviously, you know, you and I have a very different goal for our boys and So one of the prayers that I have, I kind of have a little like shorthand that I use when I'm writing out my prayers, particularly for our boys. And one of them comes from Psalm 138, which I thought I would just start out by reading. This is just the first couple of verses, verses one through I think three or four. So that says, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart before the gods, and here that is in quotes, before the gods, little g, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness, 
For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. When I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. So that last phrase there is what I took my little acronym for, BASH. My youngest son, we used to always joke that he kind of breaks everything. He's the bull in the china shop. And BASH was a common word that got used with him when he was little. And so I kind of adopted that because it's an acronym for bold and stout hearted. And so that is my prayer for my boys. A lot of times I want them to be bold. And so I'll write their name and I'll write bash next to it, knowing that I'm referring to Psalm 138 here. So bold and stout hearted, you know, what does that look like? What does that mean? How do we develop that in our children. And I think the first question we have to ask is, where does that level of, maybe I'll use the word conviction, come from? On what basis should a man be bold and stout-hearted? On what basis should a man have conviction for things? And I think there's lots of places, you know, we talk about in government how when someone gets elected by a significant margin, they have a mandate. And so that allows them to come in and accomplish more things politically because they have that mandate. So for them, that provides some conviction behind the policies that they're going to try to push forward. Well, what gives us as men or believers conviction? And I think it comes from God's Word, standing on the unchanging, timeless, and inerrant Word of God. And if we are men of the Word, if we are raising our boys to be men of the Word, then they can have conviction when they encounter new situations, problems that arise, obstacles, questions that the people around them are asking, fears that are being expressed, because they know the answers. And it's not because they're so smart or better than everybody else. It's because they have spent time with truth in their hands every day. And therefore, that engenders a conviction inside of you. It's like when there's a group of people standing around and they're all not sure, what do we do? What, what are we, how are we going to handle this situation? Well, if you have the answer, that produces inside of you a desire to want to share that with everybody. Like, no, I know what to do, actually. And I think that standing on the Word of God gives us that level of conviction. So that's one of the best gifts I think we can give to our, our boys as we are raising them is to keep them in the Word and continually point them back, teach them that this is the answer. And even if culture tries to point to all these other things as the right answer, you can stand firm knowing that God's Word is going to ring true today as it did thousands of years ago when David wrote this psalm. And we talk about that a lot on the podcast, just even for us individually as gals, you know, making sure that we are looking to the word ourselves because it's everything that he said, the benefits that are reaped for our kids in having that confidence of knowing what the answer is, we can have that same thing in our own personal life. But when we think about how we practically teach our kids that and all those things, you know, that's the stuff that you can't think that they're not just going to go to church on the weekends and maybe even midweek or youth group or whatever. And in those three little interactions, while immensely helpful, that's not 
where the only time, I guess, that they can see it, that they can know that it's important and that you can be rehearsing it. Chris and I have just observed over the last more than a decade is when you start seeing how much your time with your kids changes. When your kids are little, you are with them all the time. And especially mamas, right? We are with them all the time. But then as they get older, man, it's amazing how quickly the calendar fills up and there's sports things and there's, you know, school stuff. And and then it does just, I'm just going to tell you, if you're not there, it hits you like a two by four to the head when they start driving. Because <laughs> when they turn 16 and when they start driving, and then all of a sudden, even if it's like your oldest that starts driving, because then they start driving the siblings too. And your time with your kids just radically goes down. I remember when Evan was going into high school and I remember thinking, man, we only have four years left with him. I can't believe that. And it was a little depressing. Actually, in retrospect, oh, man. It was it's like way less time than Way that. less than <laughs> four years. Because the amount of time, the quantity of time, the density of time that you get to spend with a high schooler is way different than an elementary schooler this is one of the things that, and I know people are like, well, I just can't do that with my schedule, but I'm just going to say if there is any possible way that you can have dinner together as a family, as many nights as possible during the week. And I'm saying like, don't go cool. We made one and make it good. I mean, I think it's worth the sacrifice. When I think about the types of conversations that we have had, when we've done our kitchen table apologetics and things like that, that's sort of what we're talking about. It's usually around dinner and it's sometimes about a, an apologetic issue. It's always something about the Bible, but it's always something maybe about how the Bible and that worldview then helps them to view the problems that they're seeing at school or in other things. They're actually teaching them how to handle with confidence, I guess. But here's the thing, unless you're thinking that we sit at the table and our kids just like beautifully spout off the answers and all that kind of stuff. I mean, most of the time, don't you think, and it's you and I talking about these things, you're really good about asking them very pointed questions. So they have to kind of think about it. But I used to kind of be bummed or I'd think like, well, they're not really engaging or they're not really asking questions. Are they really getting it? But recently I was, I was realizing that if parents think that if their kids aren't just have all the expression in the world and just look like they are so just lit up to have this conversation about whatever you're having, or whatever you're talking about, and if they quit and if they stop doing it, your kids are going to learn that those like deeper conversations, questions about the Bible, questions about things that are happening in the world, that they're not important to talk about. And instead, it's going to be more important to talk about who won the game or whatever. And that's fun, but you got to talk about the stuff that really is important because otherwise our kids won't know those things are important. Am I babbling? Is that making sense? Dads, this is really, I think, an important job for you is to always bring things back to God's word. You're doing a great job if when you're driving home from church, you can say, you know, what did you learn in class today? Or, you know, what did we hear in the sermon today? And talking about that, that's great. But even better than that, I think, is when you're sitting around the dinner table and you're talking about some current event that's in the news or something that happened at school that day or something that happened at work for you or whatever, if you can at that moment bring in scripture and can encourage your boys or your, you know, your kids to just think about, hmm, well, what does the Bible have to say about this topic that we are talking about right now? If you can teach them, ingrain in them. Every time I'm wrestling through, what do I think about this thing that we just read about in the news or that we just saw across these headlines? 
if we can teach them to always think about, well, what does the Bible say about that? Man, we are doing a huge benefit to our kids. And so with that, this is kind of what we're talking about. That's kind of that familiarity of you as a parent being able to, yeah, familiarize yourself with what the scriptures say on things, but also for your kids and just rehearsing that in their mind. What does the Bible say about this? And that is going to then provide them this really great foundation for what we're talking about, about being bold. Yeah, it produces boldness. Yeah, because you you can't be bold about something that you're like really very tentative about. And I'm like, "Eh, I'm not so sure. Yeah, I think about Proverbs 28, 1, which says, The wicked man flees, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Lions, I think, are excellent examples or metaphors even of boldness. You see a lion standing there in in the zoo or something. I mean, it's an impressive animal to behold. And I love that image of it gives us that kind of boldness. The king of the jungle, right? We can stand there knowing that I'm standing on God's word, which means that I know I'm in a great place to speak authoritatively about whatever this thing is that that we're talking about. And meanwhile, the wicked, they're so frightened that they're running away even though nobody's chasing them. So where does that come from? And I think this is one of the things actually going one chapter later in Proverbs to Proverbs 29, one of my favorite verses actually out of many in Proverbs is Proverbs 29, 18, which says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Other versions say, where there is no vision, the people perish. And some of the words there are actually really rich with meaning. And one of my favorite things to do, a little hot tip for you here, is when you come across a word that, you know, you kind of wonder what it means. One of the cool things to do is to go look it up on um, Blue Blue Letter Bible or, you know, Bible Gateway, yeah, Bible Hub. And see um, what the original, in this case, Hebrew, or if we're in the New Testament, the Greek word is. But beyond just reading the definition, which I think is good, looking at what other verses in the Bible use that word. Because sometimes it can give you some really helpful context. And this verse is actually one such example. So the word for revelation or other versions translated as vision, when it says, when there is no revelation or vision... It is the same word that gets used back in 1 Samuel. And if I can quickly turn there for you, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, and it says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. That's the same word that's being talked about here in Proverbs. So, basically what's being said is where there's no word from the Lord, when the Lord's word is lacking from a situation, then this is what happens. And the rest of the verse, the people cast off restraint. Okay, same thing here. The word for restraint, or again, other versions say perish. Perish is not the greatest translation, I don't think. Restraint is a lot closer to it. It is also used in Exodus 32 to describe what happened to the people of Israel while Moses was up on the mountaintop with the whole golden calf incident. 
the same word gets used there to describe what the people were doing, and the actual English Bible translates it as, they were running wild. The people were running wild. So putting in this together, then, it's where the Lord's, where the word of the Lord is absent, people run wild. And I that we definitely see, don't we? Oh, yeah. And it's such a great example of as when you want to raise men to be bold, they have to have the word of the Lord in their lives. Because otherwise, when trouble comes, they just start running wild. And they're, they're full of anxiety or depression or hopelessness. I mean, my goodness, some of the statistics that we see about Generation Z and the hopelessness that exists in that generation is heartbreaking. And I believe it's because there is an absence of the word of the Lord. But where there is the word of the Lord, oh man, it's a completely different picture. You don't have people running wild. You have people who are bold and stout-hearted as a lion. So to raise our men as men of vision then they have to get plugged into a source of vision. Where does that vision come from? And obviously we're talking about it comes from God's Word, right? 2 Timothy 3 talks about that all Scripture is not only God-breathed, but it's profitable. It's beneficial. It's the thing that you need to add into your kiddo's life to ensure that they have that bold and stout-hearted approach to life. Without that, man, with all of the competing um, things for attention for your kids with social media and devices and this just rat hole that leads them down a place of utter despair, really, it is the antidote to that problem. It is the key to combating this wave of negativity that is rushing at them Instead, it sets them up on a rock of God's word that the waves of culture can beat against and they can stand firm, not being afraid, not having to run around and seek self-help from all of these other sources. It is the rock that their foot can stand on and know I am on solid ground here. So one of the, there was a couple things that really brought this topic, I guess, to the surface for me. And the first is kind of like what you started talking about, how our culture just is so demeaning to men. I've heard stories of moms who had a kid in college, and their son was told at the very beginning of the class that they were not to make a comment the entire class period, because we've already heard from all of the white men oppressors, and we don't need to hear from you anymore. That happens. That's not a fringe thing anymore. And like you said, it's, we have allowed it for so long. We started allowing it in TV and in entertainment in ways where it was like, oh, it's just funny. It's just a joke. Don't be so serious about things. But we have just marinated into that, into such a place that it's just common. So we would, of course, be silly to think that that has not had some pretty serious ramifications on what our kids, how they view themselves, how what they view their role in their families, and how conflicting it must feel to then 
have friends perhaps that like, hey, we just kind of want to lay low in the saddle, be real chill because we don't want to attract attention because we're just going to get stuff thrown at us if we assert ourselves as like these men who want to lead. And we would never espouse to like a domineering leadership that is not what the Bible is talking about at all. But to say that there should be no leadership from men and that there shouldn't be boldness is absolutely wrong as well. And all these scriptures that you've just read pointing out when there is no truth, when there is an absence of God's word, that it does reap all of these things. And we're just seeing those everywhere. And statistically, that is just bearing out whether it's in behavioral things, it's just everywhere. So clearly, we've lost a little bit of the culture war in there. And if we know the answer is to come back to God's word, this is a time to set up as parents and go, man, how can we be making sure this is a priority in our home? So let's just give one like little practical example of how if your kids are in the word, they know how they are to act, and that develops a conviction, and that leads to a boldness in their actions. So this is a common scenario in high schools everywhere. Kids deal with drama. They deal with difficult situations that come up, you know, whether it's a classmate who gets sick or a, uh, a sadly, a common scenario is like there's rumors that there's somebody with a gun on campus or something like that. And kids freak out because they look at their phones and they're flooded with this information. And how do you deal with that? And so your son is in this situation where they're in a group of mixed guys and gals in their school, and one of these difficult situations comes up. What should they do? What does it look like to be a positive source of leadership in a moment like that, where there's crisis or a difficulty that their circle of friends is dealing with? Well, the world would say, men, you just need to shut up and let the women lead. You've had your time and you messed everything up. And so, you know, now it's up to the women. They're going to save us. But what does the Bible say? Well, Paul, in instructing Timothy, 1 Timothy 2.8, he says, therefore, I want men everywhere to pray lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Okay, so if that's something that maybe you've talked about in in recently around the family dinner table or in devotions or something like that, and not one time, but if that's been a regular part of your conversation in your household, then when your son is in that situation, they are going to know what I should be doing right now. I need to provide some leadership for my friends here, and I'm going to suggest, hey, you guys, let's pray about this. That is what Paul is saying to young Timothy here. I want men to be men of prayer, not getting in fights, not being ogres or jerks, but leading spiritually the community, the people that you're around. And so this is a great place where if that's a part of their upbringing, if they have that in their experience, in their head, then when that situation comes up, the Spirit's going to prompt them to do that. And they're going to be able to take action with boldness, knowing this is what I'm called to do. And here before me, I have an opportunity to put that into practice and bring these concerns that we're dealing with before the Lord. 
And I would also just want to add maybe a little uh, side note for girls, for if you maybe only have daughters in your house, maybe you don't even, and we do have blinders to certain things because we just don't have girls in our house. So there's so, it's so funny to me, sometimes the things that come up that girl moms deal with, and I am just completely lost. But one of the things I would, I've noticed with us trying to teach boys to be servant leaders, to be men that are willing to speak up and be assertive when there's a place for that, is the reaction sometimes of the girls to those things. I think it's important for us to also be mindful of teaching our girls how to receive that kind of leadership. Now, again, that's not to say that your girls shouldn't be able to speak or that's ridiculous. But if your girls are in a group, just like what Chris talked about, and a guy is willing to say, hey, let's pray about that. Boy, teach your girls to go, that's a great idea. Let's do that. As opposed to well, we're not going to do that. That's ridiculous. Do you know how quickly, just like in marriage, ladies, we can shut our husbands down so fast and have be having a, a situation and they'll say, hey, I just would like to pray about this. And you can roll your eyes. You can go, okay, well, whatever, you know, fine. Whatever your bad attitude is, just the one syllable <laughs> of that will completely wipe the confidence out of your husband for sure. And I think the same can be true, obviously in a very different lane, but for our girls in school situations, that if they can enable, if they see the value of men leading, that's a great thing. And it's a biblical thing to observe that. But again, you're going to have to really reinforce that from the home because they aren't going to hear that anywhere else. And sadly, they're not even going to see that in a lot of the churches these days too. So that's an issue as well. This is a very important thing for you to biblically see this and train your girls and boys in how to lead and also how to be able to be in a place where if a guy stands up to lead or and to pray about something to be okay with that. Yeah, be quick to join in yeah, and pray with absolutely. them. Absolutely. And not be fighting against that and asserting your rights. Well, what gives you the right to be calling everyone to pray? I should be the one doing that. No gals, no. I mean honestly, that's just a wrong attitude. So I just a little bit of a sideline note for the gals too. It's a more of a nuanced thing because I know we're not talking like as clearly as the scriptures teach in marriage, how, you know, a husband is to be, or wife is to be submitted to her husband, but there's still sort of this attitude that you can have in general, that when there are godly men present that are wanting to pray or to lead in a very biblical way to get on board with that, as opposed to being in opposition to that, because that's what the world is constantly telling your girls. Be a feminist, be all empowered, you can do everything. Really got to check that against the word. So then I think in this whole topic of boldness, we kind of need to address probably the other side of the coin, which is the thing that cuts the legs out from underneath boldness, and that's fear, right? And the Bible talks a ton about fear, talks about bad fear, and yes, good fear. There is good fear as well. And so I think probably just spending a few moments to talk about the fear piece is important. And actually, uh, Proverbs 29, where we've been talking about uh, just a little bit further on in that chapter, is a very famous verse, Proverbs 29, 25, which says, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. And boy, I have experienced the truth of this verse so many times in my life, various leadership roles that I have been in where I have to constantly fight against 
the fear that creeps into my own self when I'm dealing with issues where I know the right thing that needs to be said or done in a particular situation, but it's my own fear of the reaction that everyone else is going to have that can sometimes prevent me from doing what I know I need to do. And our men that we're trying to raise are going to experience this too in huge ways, particularly in the less mature years. And so teaching them that, and really the meaning of the word snare there, I love it. Pastor Brett talks about this a lot. It literally kind of means a hook in the nose, and it references the practice of certain nations when they would haul other nations off into slavery, they would literally put hooks into their noses to pull them along and to keep them in line. And and that's what fear is. It's a hook in the nose, and it can drag you around to places that you don't want to go and render you powerless and ineffective because you are paralyzed by fear. Also, you mentioned the good fear, too. Yeah, well, because the reality is, you know, 2 Timothy 1.7 says that we haven't been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. So, we ought not to fear those wrong things, and yet there is something that we are to fear, and of course, that is the Lord. I think all throughout Proverbs, there it addresses the fear of the Lord, that it's the beginning of wisdom, right? And so if you want to start down a path in your life of wisdom, the place it begins is the fear of the Lord, a healthy fear of the Lord, which, by the way, is a different word being used for the fear of the Lord, then the fear of man is is a hook in the nose or a snare. Those are two different words for fear. So there is a healthy, productive, beneficial fear. And again, all throughout Proverbs, it talks about some of the benefits, a couple of them. It turns you from the snares of death, Proverbs 14, 27 tells us. It keeps you from evil, Proverbs 16, 6. This is a really interesting practical one that I think a lot of people sort of overlook or don't really give this the heed that it should. I wish that we would talk about this, honestly, more in Christian culture. So much so, I'm going to read this one. This is Proverbs 19.23, which says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content, untouched by trouble. The idea behind that verse is literally sleeping when you are sleeping on your bed. Um, billions of dollars probably is spent in the sleep industry, whether it's mattresses or these uh, sound soothing, machines, yeah, sound machines and, and lights and scents and all these spray. things. Yeah, <sighs> to make the bedroom a conducive place for sleep. And those things are great, I'm sure. But the Bible's prescription for having sweet and restful sleep is fearing the Lord. And I think it's there's an interesting link between the confidence that comes from that fear of the Lord and being able to lay down at night and go to sleep. Conversely, when you lay down and you close your eyes, what floods your mind? If it's anxiety, then you're going to have a hard time sleeping. If you're tossing and turning all night because you're worried about this or that or the other thing man, that's going to make it really tough to get a good night's sleep. But if you have the fear of the Lord, knowing ultimately the Lord is in control, and I can cast all of my cares onto Him, then that's going to allow you to just say, you know what, Lord, 
I'm going to trust you for these things. I don't know how to get through this problem I'm facing. I'm going to trust you with these things. And I'm going to drift off to sleep knowing that you're in control. Hebrews 13, 6 also says, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And that's, I love what you're bringing up there, hun, because there's so much that we have out of proportion, the things that we fear. And since we have decided just that fear must be bad in every possible way, that we have forgotten the ways in which we are to rightly fear something, which is only the Lord, fear the Lord only. And instead, we've put our fears and our anxieties into things like this, like what people can do. or And to be fair, people can do really brutal things. I mean, the things that we see now with cyberbullying and the things that are done to kids on social media, which again, your kids should not have social media. You got to pray about that. But it's brutal. It's horrible. So I'm not trying to say that those aren't just heavy things. It is terrible. But the thing is, is that none of those things are to be things that we're supposed to be fearful of. We're not supposed to be anxious about those things and instead having a right fear of the Lord. But we are so distracted by the likes and what is getting attention positively or negatively, or sometimes if we're not getting attention, then we choose to do, our kids choose to do things for a negative thing in order to get attention because they just care about the circle of friends that they're around or the circle of people that they want to be friends with. But it's more so about the people that you see around you and not the God that created you that really can change all of it anyway. Okay, so I'm loving the just this foundation that we have with boldness. It's clearly something that it's biblical for everyone. It's biblical, particularly for our men as they kind of step into leadership roles, not just in their homes and family someday. That is a really important one, but just even society at large. And I wanted to just touch on a little bit, and you've heard Chris and I already mention Gen Z. And so this is a generation that's particularly on our hearts because actually all three of our boys land in this gener- in this generation. And so there this is a concerning generation. And when I say that it's I'm not trying to be alarmist with it, but I'm trying to bring some awareness because many of us have this age group within our homes or at the very if you've got younger ones, this is the age group that is going to be your kids' teachers someday or in just in professional positions and things like that. And you need to understand kind of what's happening. So recently there has been, and I don't know when this podcast is going to go out, but it's going to be in memory for everyone. But when we've had the conflict between Hamas and Israel and the unbelievable atrocities that have happened by terrorists to the, uh, to the Jewish people in Israel, things that as you, as someone who reads the Bible and really just anybody who has any level of common decency should be able to view the things that have been done and just to be able to acknowledge, wow, this is clearly evil, clearly horrible. But I'll just even say to my surprise, I mean, I knew that Gen Z was a little bit more of an apathetic generation in some ways, and I'm speaking generally. So if you're a Gen Z or listening to me, I'm going to get to you in just a second. But the statistics came out about the members of Gen Z that supported Israel versus those that support that supported Hamas. Now, as a society overall in the United States, it was something like 78% generally thought that yes, these were atrocities that were committed against Israel, Israel has a right to defend itself. And that there was no basis for the way that Hamas was for what Hamas was yeah. doing. There was no justification for it. So 78%, and it was all in that high 70s because those were actually two different polls that were put, one that was supporting Israel, one that was saying Israel has the right 
to defend itself. But what was unbelievable is within that poll, the 18 to 24 year old group, that's your Gen Zers, they were evenly split. They were half and half whether or not they believed that these were actual like justified. Yeah. Justified things against Israel. So that was a startling statistic to me. And I I think the reason that was so startling is because I, not just my own kids, but my kids' friends and just the whole, everyone that they're going to live and work with and go to church with and all of this, that's this generation. And half of them cannot recognize something as horrible as what we have experienced and seen happening in the Middle East and know that it's just terrible, that it should be, that right should be defended, that that whether you're talking about as men or as countries, we should come to the defense of those who are so maliciously harmed. That, it, that was a 50-50 mix, mind blown over here. So that was the other reason why I wanted to talk about this element of boldness, because what do you think, Hun? contributes to that? How did we get there? I think that then there's obviously tons of reasons, but I think a big one is truly there's a lack of leadership in the home as these kids are being raised. And you could call it cowardice if you want. Like it takes a spine, it takes boldness to stand up and say, this is wrong. I mean, you see this on a small scale in schools where one kid is being picked on, maybe even physically beaten up by a group of other kids for some ridiculous reason. And unbelievably, I mean, sadly, you can see videos like this on YouTube all the time. You have a whole bunch of other kids standing around in a circle And rather than coming to the aid of the defenseless kid that's being picked on, they're whipping out their phones and videoing it because they think it's funny. Like that is on a different scale, the very same thing that we're talking about here between Hamas and Israel. And what on earth would lead a kid to look at a situation like that, like where where someone is being attacked and say, not only is it okay, like, oh, I want to get this on video. But again, what you need is kids with boldness, with conviction, who can look at that situation and in kind of a righteous anger say, this is wrong and I am going to put a stop to it. I will not stand by and let this just happen. Not when it's within my power to act. So this is where I want to also talk to, because there's 50% that Chris just addressed. That's the 50% that just kind of wants to sit back, grab their phone and video this. Or maybe they don't want to do that, but they just don't even want to have an opinion. I don't really want to ruffle any feathers. They honestly, many, I believe, have bought into the, oh, well, that's great for you. You know, that's your truth kind of thing. They might not say it quite like that. That's what, you know, the 30 plusers say it. That's your truth. This is my truth. But they totally have that sense of relativism. They don't want to assert what their right is on someone else. And so that's that 50%. But then there's obviously this other 50% that does align with the rest of the country that says, yep, that is really wrong. We should be defending the defenseless. We should be helping when things like this happen. And so what I, I want, if you know, if you're in that 18 to 24 group listening to this, you got to realize you got quite a mission field in front of you because your generation in particular is very divided. 
we always talk about how divided we are, whether it's politically or even sometimes churches get divided about certain issues. But this is you as a generation, as probably even a friendship circle. I think there's many that they could have a group of six or seven friends and they could probably go, oh, those three over there are probably a little bit more in that camp. And this, okay, if you're on the 50% side, and I'm just going to go ahead and say the 50% that is going to hold true to a biblical worldview, which the other That other 50% can't even dance around that. That is not ascribing to a biblical worldview. It's not recognizing evil for evil. It's what scriptures talk about calling evil they called good and good they called evil. So call a spade a spade. That is not ascribing to a biblical worldview. But as you who desire to do that, this is where that element of boldness is going to come in. How important it should be and must be for you to be in the scriptures, men and women, you know, if this is mom you raise in your boys, or if this is just gals listening to this and you are in that Gen Z group, be bold, be bold and do not be ashamed of the gospel, right? We have lots of scriptures about that as well. It should be a boldness as we, just like Chris talked about a little bit ago, how, because our fear is not in the fear of man, but only to fear the Lord. But I recognize that Gen Z is going to have, it's going to be tough for them in a lot of ways because they're going to have to be really bold and they're going to probably not be very liked within their, even their own friend group. It makes me think of another proverb that we were just talking about before we started recording this. This is Proverbs 26, 13, which says, the sluggard says, there is a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. This was one of my boys' favorite growing up and that we would talk about, and it took them many years to kind of really understand what was being said here. But what it's talking about is this sluggard, this man who doesn't want to go outside and probably work, is coming up with reasons why he can't go. And some of them are very ridiculous, like there's a lion in the streets, and so I can't go out there. But I think it has application in this situation as well, where it's kids who can look at a situation like this and say, well, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to put myself out there. I'd rather sit back here in anonymity and just record this on my phone, and then I can share it with all my friends and say, look at this cool thing that happened today. Isn't this awesome? Or maybe they share it and they'll be like, well, I'll let someone else do something about this. That could be a justification as well. Maybe they're not seeing the comedic side of it, but like, well, I'll just, but again, it's that bystander thing and it's, there's no boldness to it. It's not conviction. And we've talked about this before, like what would have happened back in World War II days if the present world leaders that we have today had been the world leaders back then? What if there wasn't a Churchill back then? I'm not sure, but there could be a lot more German-speaking people in the world right now, that's for sure, you know? And so having that boldness, being willing to say, rather than I'll let someone else do it, being willing to say, even if no one else does it, I'm going to step up and I'm going to say this is not right. I'm going to intervene and try to make a difference here. And boy, if that doesn't happen, you can get to the point of things like Nazi Germany. And and that sounds like melodramatic, but I don't think it is. I, I think it literally is, this is the way things like that happen, is when men and women who lack the conviction, lack the boldness 
to stand in the gap and say, this is wrong and I'm not going to, to just stand by and watch it happen. When that doesn't take place, then it's like that quote, all that's needed for evil to triumph in the world is good men to do nothing. And that's what Satan wants. Satan wants our men weakened, huddling in the corner so that he can just take over and run wild in the world and have his way. But our call as parents and certainly as men is no, we need to stand up in the face of evil and say, that's wrong. I'm going to stand for what's right. And this is what we're going to do. So many examples, gals, you know, if you're looking for even stories in the Old Testament, stories in the Bible that you can point to this level of boldness. Probably one of my favorites that I think of just as Chris was talking is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And it was when you you just said that even if nobody else does, that's that even if, that's a scary two words, right? And it's a particularly scary in a culture that cares so deeply about what other people will think of them. And that's why I think you've touched on a lot of things that are we need to really think about. Like, what what do we really understand the fear of the Lord? And is that really our primary focus versus the fear of man? Because that will very rightly set the dials on what we should be bold about and what we shouldn't. We should love the things that the Lord loves, and we should hate the things that the Lord hates. And, and we can say those things with conviction, and even if nobody else does. And I love that picture there in the fiery furnace because it isn't that they were saved out of a harrowing situation. They actually were put in the middle of the worst situation. They were put in the fire, but Jesus was with them. And so we'll wrap up, but you can't do a podcast on boldness without talking about Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Gals, I think there are things in there that we all personally need to be reminded of, that the Lord never leaves us, He never forsakes us, but that we also need to remember that we are called to be bold, to be strong, to be courageous. But I got to make sure we're seeing there, that word right there was Moses's word to Joshua as he was going to lead others a man who is called to lead. And gals, many of you are raising up these men that you don't know in what capacity they will lead someday. It might just be in a like a small classroom setting. It might be they're going to be married someday and the, how they're going to lead their home. It could be far greater than that. It could be, and by greater, I mean more people. I think the biggest leadership role that we should be training our boys for is for what it looks like to lead their home. Because when homes fall apart, then all of these pieces that Chris and I are talking about, they're, they're not there. The kids don't know where else to get them. So anything to close off there, hun? I think the last thing I would say is keep in mind that as you're talking to your boys about this and challenging them to this high bar of standing up and being a leader, it's hard. Yeah. That is hard. And and just like I was saying from my own life, as an adult, I can think back to many times in leadership where it was difficult for me because of fear to do what I knew I needed to do. Well, your boys are going to be feeling that too. And so I would just say, encourage them with this, which comes from Romans chapter 8 in verse 31, when it says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So yes, it's going to be hard, but we are more than conquerors. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Such a great way to end. And gals, I'll just also just add, don't forget to just pray for your kids. And if you don't have Gen Zers, pray for Gen Zers. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. but, but pray. We need men to stand up in boldness. We need women to be bold also in the scriptures and also in how you are training the younger and the roles that you have that the Lord has called you to. We need boldness. This is not a time to take a back seat and see how somebody else steps up to the plate. So, but be in prayer, be prayerful for how the Lord would have you act and respond, but particularly for our kids. Even if you don't have kiddos, pray for the generations, pray for the younger generation that's going to be leading this country down in the next years. They need us. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of AV Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at apcreek.com.